if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get rolling at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Thursday, the 16th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. And as it is a Thursday, you know what that means. It's Dr. Everett Piper Day. He'll be joining us at 1010 to talk about a host of issues related to faith and BLM and race in America in general. How do those all intersect? That's what Dr. Everett Piper will join us about uh, to talk about at the top of the next hour. So about an hour from now. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, however, a couple of guests that I've had on the program, one of them a ton of times, another one uh, a little bit less, and we should get him more. And I'm talking about our friends from the American Policy Roundtable and the Ohio Roundtable and the Public Square uh, Radio Broadcast Network, uh, talking about Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti. Dave Zanotti wrote a piece last night, or at least it was distributed last night, about the state of Ohio and Governor Mike DeWine's response to the Chinese coronavirus and how steeped in 100-year-old history his response is, despite the fact that 2020 uh, has uh, brought a lot of technological advances and uh, uh, a uh, a lot of new facts, I guess, that were ignored as Governor Mike DeWine decided to use the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to respond to the 2020 Chinese coronavirus pandemic. It's a fantastic piece. If you're on my Facebook friend list, you can already see it, uh, because I posted it this morning. I read it last night after speaking with Rob Walgate and arranging today's chat. Um, but I posted it this morning, and I strongly encourage you to read it. Uh, it's moderately lengthy, not really tremendously, but it really digs inside how and why Mike DeWine has made the decisions he has made about uh, the Chinese coronavirus and how we should respond to it. But he basically reverted back to 1918 as if that Spanish flu was the same thing as this Chinese coronavirus. Uh, absolutely 100% false. He was wrong. He was wrong in his assessment of the situation. He was wrong in his modeling and predictive nature of the situation. And he was wrong in his response that he detailed um, uh 
to uh, to uh, combat the situation. So Dave Zanotti wrote a great piece about that. He and Rob Olgate will both join me to discuss at 935, and I uh, assume you're going to want to talk about that too. So the phone lines will be open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. Oh, I started to say if you're a Facebook friend of mine, you can read it. Um, I'll put it on my radio page, too. I have two Facebook pages. One is private with friends. The other one is public with uh, France Radio. And I'll put it there as well, maybe during the break, so that you don't have to uh, be on my friend list to see it. Uh, But uh, you're definitely going to want to read it. So last night, um, looks like Jack Windsor was right. Jack Windsor came on the program yesterday morning. I asked him for speculation. Because, you know, yes, it was just speculation, because he didn't have a copy of the governor's speech that he was going to use but i said jack speculate because you do have sources in columbus as an investigative reporter and because you're there all the time and you have a pretty good read on this guy what do you think the the governor was going to say in his 5 30 p.m speech it wasn't even a press conference we kept calling it a press conference but we were wrong because there were no questions that were going to be taken so it was a speech, and I said, uh, Jack, what do you think he's going to say? Some people were projecting that he was going to call for a mandatory mask, wear- mandatory mask wearing in public in the state of Ohio, as some other states have done. Um, others said he is going to cancel school and school sports for the fall. Others speculated his big announcement was going to be that he was done. He was resigning his post as, as governor. Uh, Jack came on and said, I don't think it's going to be any of, those, any of those big giant bombshells. He's probably just going to come on and encourage people and say, we only have, you know, 30 days to be able to, uh, respond appropriately and to wear masks and to uh, take precautionary steps in order to get schools open and, uh, to not have to shut down again. So Jack was right. He was spot on. That's all it was. It was about a 20 minute or 25 minute, uh, go team type rally mixed in with some threats. If you don't, joined the team in masking yourself wherever you go, uh, then whatever happens will be on you and will be like Florida or will become like Texas or Arizona or other states that are ex- experiencing terrible surges and have to having to close things down again and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like a, hey, go team, we've done this before, now we have to do it again. And then he mixed in the threat. If we don't do it right, in terms of masking, etc., then uh, we're going to have to deal with the consequences, which could be, of course, shutting down, uh, shutting down schools uh, again, uh, canceling all of our sports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's kind of a mixture of of pep rally and threat. That's what I heard from Governor Mike DeWine at five thirty last night. So it was, in other words, a whole lot of nothing. Somebody put it on. Somebody put it this way: the the way yesterday went. You know, and I'm paraphrasing the way I saw this written on, on Facebook yesterday. But um, it, the governor said, uh, huge announcement coming. Ohio, oh, my God, what's he going to do? Governor, uh, make sure you're listening at 530. Oh, my God, he's going to shut us down. He's going to close us down. Governor, I'll tell you at 530. Oh, my gosh, he's going to, uh, he's going to uh, uh, make everybody wear masks. And then, you know, in actuality, governor at 530. Hey, everybody, wear your masks. Not mandatory, but we're requesting that you wear, wear your mask. Pretty please, pretty please. And Ohio, like, that's it? Because that's what it was. It was a big letdown. You know, there was a big tease. I was wondering. Big tease. Oh, my God, what's it going to do? Big tease. Oh, my goodness. 5.30. Hey, everybody would really, really like you to wear your masks. And Ohio just looked and shrugged and said, wow. That, all of that build up for that, you couldn't have said that at 2 o'clock like you always do? 
So we'll see what follow-up questions come from the reporters, if there are any uh, worth their salt, you know, besides Jack Windsor um, at the press conference today. He is supposed to answer questions about his order. Now, having acknowledged that it was less than inspiring, having acknowledged that it was underwhelming, uh, that people's concerns, uh, you know, uh, about some of the crazy things that could happen were obviously not valid. Uh, we really didn't have to worry too much about what was going to happen. Having said all of that, some people are of the mindset that last night's underwhelming uh, speech was the catalyst, though, or was the, the, the precursor, maybe is a better way to say that, of a lockdown to come. And what he'll be able to say 30 days from now is, I warned you, didn't I? 30 days from now, in the middle of August, as schools are set to reopen, he could say, nope, it's going to have to all be distance learning because I warned you, didn't I? I told you in the middle of July, on July 15th, what had to happen. You didn't wear your masks, and the surge kept growing, et cetera, et cetera. And now I get to uh, essentially shut everything down again and establish my authority and control over the people of this state. That's a possibility that what he has done is set the table for a future restrictive action which again will be based, and I can't wait to talk to Dave Zanotti about this, would be based on the reaction to the and the response to the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Um, and maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe Mike DeWine is setting the table for his own power play a little bit later on. Uh, I cannot dismiss that as, as being a possibility. But what I will say is that if he does it, it will be done on, under false pretense. Because what he said to you yesterday about, hey, we have 30 days or we have to act right now in a short period of time. If we don't act now and if we all don't wear our masks and keep our social distancing, we're going to become like Florida and we're going to become like other states that are struggling. Um, He did all of that using false information. That's the part of this that everybody needs to understand. It's, it's false data. He told us there's a huge surge in infections. There's not. There was a huge surge in testing. Now, he tried to tell us that, yes, testing has increased 87%. It's increased more than that. It's increased far more than that. Prior to, you know, last week, we were testing, you know, roughly a thousand people a day. Now we're testing twenty thousand people a day. That's a heck of a lot more than just eighty-seven percent. And then he said, the infection rate, the positive test result rate, is over two hundred percent. So he's trying to say, yeah, testing more people accounts for more positive cases. That's true, um, but he said it doesn't account for the rate of positive taste, t- tests, rather. And again, he is lying to you through his little chiclet teeth about that, those numbers because he continues to leave context absent from the presentation. He, he, he refuses to acknowledge the number of cases is not the number of new people. That these are each time somebody gets swabbed, that's a new case if it's positive. And then they're not reporting the negative results. And I found it, striking isn't, isn't the right word, I found it 
stunning. I found it I found it disturbing that he used Florida numerous times during his 5:30 speech last night. And by the way, I'm assuming that everybody listening right now heard it, so you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, well, just bear with me. We'll do our best, you know, we can to describe it, but um, he used Florida numerous times, saying, if we're not careful, if we don't do this, we don't do that, uh, we're going to become like Florida. He cited Florida on the very same day that Florida was busted for lying about their numbers. The state of Florida had numerous boards of health reporting only their positive tests and not their negative ones and thus reporting a 98% positivity uh, testing rate in some, some circumstances when the actual positivity rate was 9%. Hey, what's 89% between friends, right? Yeah, 9%, 98%, it's practically the same thing. At a VA uh, center, testing center, they had a 76% positive rate is what they reported to the people of Florida, And it took a local TV news crew from Fox 35 down there to uncover the truth that the actual rate is 7%. So on the day that Florida was, and Florida's health department and and local health uh, uh, departments of health and county departments of health were all being caught lying about their numbers, not reporting their negative tests, reporting only their positive tests, making it look like Florida is just about to die. On the same day Florida is busted for that, Mike DeWine goes on Ohio television and tells everybody that if you're not careful, we're going to become like Florida. Does anybody believe this guy anymore? Has Mike DeWine given you any reason whatsoever to have faith in his assessment of any of these situations? Because I can answer that question very clearly and definitively with a no. He and his walking lab coat partner, Amy Acton, were wrong on day one, and they were wrong every step of the way since then. From their predictive models, 10,000 cases a day. Amy Acton saying, we already have 100,000 people infected in the state right now. This is back in early March. We're going to see peaks of 10,000 positive cases per day. They have been wrong from the beginning And now we're supposed to listen to him as he tells us, if we don't do what I tell you to do and wear that chain around your face in the form of a mask, well, we're going to become like Florida. Well, what's Florida like? Well, we don't know yet because they don't have their their numbers straight, but that's what it's going to be like. I have zero reason to believe anything like DeWine says. Neither do you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. You want to get in? Get in. We'll get a few phone calls before the bottom of the hour. And our first guest will be coming up then. Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate from the American Policy Roundtable on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-five. We continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Alex Berenson, the former New York Times reporter who has gone essentially rogue by breaking free of the New York Times and telling the truth, um, was on with uh, Brian Kilmeade last night, who was in for Tucker, who said uh, there. You know, if Mike Dewine, he didn't speak to Mike Dewine specifically, but it's perfect for what we're talking about in a general sense across the country. Uh, if they're planning on new lockdowns. That would be the dumbest thing ever because there is no evidence that lockdowns worked at all the first time around. 
There's no real evidence nationally or internationally that lockdowns had the desired effect. You can point to countries that didn't lock down, like Japan, where actually the virus is less, uh, you know, hit less hard than almost any other developed country. You can point to countries that locked down early and hard, like Italy, where there was a terrible, you know, spike in virus deaths. Italy has more per capita deaths than the United States, and that's still true on the state level. That's also true. And so, you know, if we're going to do this, if we're going to try this again, shouldn't there be some evidence that it actually worked the first time? Yeah, they don't need any evidence that it actually worked the first time because they are guessing every step of the way. They were guessing in March. They're guessing badly and terribly in July as well. Alex also talked about the masks because at the end of the day, all Mike DeWine did last night in his little pep rally of you can do it, you can do it, we can do it, we can do it, and we have to or else we're going to be like Florida is, you know, wear a mask. And again, these masks, all they say is face coverings. Not actual protective um, barriers against um, infectious diseases like you would see people wearing in a hazmat situation, but just put a bandana around your face. Put something around your face. Doesn't matter what it is. Just put something around there and we'll all be safe again. Again, Alex Berenson said, really? I say that there's no real evidence that masks work. You Listen, for 20 years, we and the WHO, the CDC, the WHA have come up with a lot of different recommendations for what to do about respiratory virus pandemics, about influenza pandemics mainly. And they did not really recommend masks. You can go look at their recommendations. There is very, very little evidence that masks work. There's even less evidence that lockdowns work. What we should be doing is concentrating on protecting the really vulnerable. That's, you know, that's people in nursing homes, people with, you know, serious comorbidities and standing up our hospitals. And that, that works. That will help people. That will drive down the death rates in people who do get infected. And that's what we should be focusing on. That is exactly right. And so the question is, is to, to whom should we be listening if we don't listen to the likes of Mike DeWine? They're always telling us, listen to the doctors, listen to the doctors, listen to the scientists, listen to Dr. Fauci. Peter Navarro, and this is a big source of controversy right now in the Trump administration, but Peter Navarro uh, published an op-ed in USA Today that we referenced yesterday but did not quote from, and I want to quote from it right now. Uh, even though President Trump has had to kind of say, yeah, Peter shouldn't have done that, he kind of went rogue, uh, calling out Dr. Fauci. I believe every single word of it because we have seen Dr. Fauci be wrong and take both sides of every issue related to COVID-19 uh, time and time again. Peter Navarro wrote the following, quote, Dr. Anthony Fauci has a good bedside manner with the public, but he has been wrong about everything I have interacted with him on. In late January, when I was making the case on behalf of the president to take down the flights from China, Fauci fought against the president's courageous decision, which might well have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. When I warned in late January in a memo of a possible deadly pandemic, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Anthony Fauci, was telling the news media to not worry. When I was working feverishly on behalf of the president in February to help engineer the fastest industrial mobilization of healthcare, of the healthcare sector in our history, Fauci was telling the public that the China virus was low risk. When we were building new mask capacity in record time, Fauci was flip-flopping on the use of masks. And when Fauci was telling the White House Coronavirus Task Force that there was only anecdotal evidence in support of hydroxychloroquine to fight the virus, I confronted him with scientific studies proving evidence of safety and efficacy. A recent Detroit hospital study showed a 50% reduction in the mortality rate when that medicine was used in early treatment. Now, Fauci says, a falling mortality rate doesn't matter. 
when it is the single most important statistic to help guide the pace of our economic reopening. The lower the mortality rate, the faster and more we can reopen. So when you ask me whether I listen to Dr. Fauci's advice, my answer is only with skepticism and caution. So that's an op-ed from Peter Navarro, assistant to the president, director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, and he essentially said that Dr. Fauci can't be trusted, and that's his opinion. Now, President Trump defended Fauci and said, I've got a great relationship with Tony, etc., but I'll be honest with you, I think it's time for the president to end that relationship. This man has flipped and flopped on virtually everything, and like the walking lab coat in Ohio, Amy Acton, uh, he has been wrong every step of the way. Every step of the way. And I think that's important for the president to to, uh, to recognize. All right, it's 930. We'll get news now. And on the flip side, Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate will both join us to talk about uh, Governor DeWine's mishandling of the uh, coronavirus in the state of Ohio. The response has been horrible. And he'll tell us how and why it got that way. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 9.38, we continue now. A little bit late coming into the segment as we had a little bit of a tech glitch, but we are good to go now. And I want to uh, I want to bring on a couple of guys that I always enjoy talking to, uh, particularly when they're together because they play off of one another so well because they work together. Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate with the American Policy Roundtable, the Ohio Roundtable, and the Public Square Broadcast Network. Uh, join us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about Governor Mike DeWine and his botching of the coronavirus uh, response. Dave Zanotti, good to have you you back on our program how are you good morning bob it's always great to be with you and the wonderful listeners you have at whk thanks for the opportunity it's a pleasure and rob walgate of course who sits in as a, co- a host of the show uh and has done so on many occasions back with us as well rob how are you great good morning bob Always a pleasure to talk to both of you guys. Thank you. Rob, I was so glad that you sent me the uh, link last night um, that you sent out as a press release from Dave Zanotti as a really, really a fantastic explanation of why uh, Governor Mike DeWine has done the things he's done um, in response to the coronavirus here in the state of Ohio. So, Dave, I guess we'll go first to you. Um, I kind of gave a, a couple of spoilers uh, during the first segment as we talk about, um, you know, essentially Mike DeWine doesn't know what year it is. Uh, he still thinks it's 1918, and he based his response to the 2020 Chinese coronavirus to the 1918 Spanish flu, and he did so based on a book, and I want you to tell the story from there. Well, Bob, I'm all for reading good books and history books, and the one that the governor got a hold of back in early March was John Barry's book, The Great Influenza, talking about the Spanish flu of 1918, that pandemic. Um, and he had a reporter uh, sit down with him in his kitchen in uh, at his home and, uh, for, the, uh, in, for the Xenia Gazette. That was the newspaper. And he told him this was the book that was going to provide the outline for his public policy strategy. Now, I admire the governor for doing research. There's only one problem. This is the 21st century. This is not 1918. And COVID-19 has very little in common with the Spanish flu in symptoms and in death rates, et cetera. For example, the death rate in Ohio, one year, 1918, from the Spanish flu per 100,000 people was almost 500 Ohioans, 946. All right. A knife in one in, in that year. Right now, our death rate from COVID-19 is 26. This is not apples and apples, and the governor is acting as if it is. And that's creating really bad policy decisions. 
Yeah, and and it was from the very beginning. Rob, uh, again, you know, Governor DeWine allowed so much latitude, and, and Dave, you can speak to this too, but I'll go to Rob first. So much, uh, so much of the decision making he put into the hands of Dr. Amy Acton. Now, I'm not sure if she read the same book, and I'm not sure if she, uh, you know, if they necessarily agreed from the beginning, or if he just kind of deferred to her, or maybe the other way around. Maybe he told her, here's what I want you to do. Here are the orders I want you to do based on what I've read. But she relied so much on the predictive modeling that was so very, very wrong um, and and automatically went to, well, like Dave was talking about, the uh, the procedure, the uh, uh, the precautions they took in response to the to the 1918 pandemic uh, by locking everybody up. Well, that highlights a couple of things, Bob. One, we need to change state law, and we've been saying that at the roundtable since mid-March. Ohio Revised Code 3701.13 gives ultimate authority to the director of the Department of Health. Whether you agree or disagree with Dr. Acton's orders throughout all this, and when she stepped down now, um, Director Hines' orders, even if you agree with them, do you still want one person in the state of Ohio to have ultimate authority in these decisions? It should be the legislative body, 99 state reps, um, 33 uh, state senators. The other thing that comes into play, those models they were talking about in the beginning when they talked about we could get as high as 10000 a day, if we were still looking at that, and that was the fear and paranoia then, shouldn't the entire state be open right now? Because we went from we're going to overwhelm hospitals, 10000 a day are going to get sick, we can never keep up, to now the motto is no one can get sick ever, ever again. We should be spending all our time, energy, and resources on protecting the vulnerable, long-term care facilities, nursing homes, those with comorbidities, not saying no one can get sick ever again. Uh, Governor DeWine, it's almost like he's become the physician for 11.5 million people. Yeah. Yeah, it really does, and and that's the frustrating thing about this. Now, Dave, let, let's go back again to the book. Tell us a little bit more about the book and the uh, interview that he, you know, he had with Scott Hallis. I think it was he said with the Xenia uh, Daily uh, Gazette, which you know, in which he kind of revealed this is what he was, uh, you know, this is what he, how he was establishing his policies. This was his thought process. Yes, and and yesterday, Bob, he started off his speech from the State House office of the governor. Uh, with the bust of Governor Cox, who was governor in 1918, he started right back in 1918 again. <laughs> yes, and so we got to get this man into the 21st century. He has not been elected to be the family therapist for the state of Ohio. He's elected to be the governor. And that means, yes, he's supposed to work to protect the people of Ohio, but according to the rule of law, not according to a book that he read about 1918. Uh, and now, what else about the Spanish flu is different? Well, the Spanish flu had devastating symptoms. You, when you got it, you knew it. You could die within three days of the Spanish flu, and it attacked particularly young people, soldiers coming back from World War One, and, and school-age children. That has no commonality whatsoever with COVID-19, where the symptoms are very mild, according to Johns Hopkins University, a mild disease with mild symptoms for most people with a much, much, much lower death rate. So in essence, not only did Mike DeWine get the wrong century, he got the wrong definition, which meant he set the wrong priorities. Instead of protecting the most vulnerable, the aged and people with chronic comorbidities as the most important investment of time, energy and resources, Mike DeWine has spent all of his time chastising us, rallying us, cheerleading us, guilting us, and quarantining healthy people when he should have been focused on people who were most vulnerable. That's why Ohio's death rate is at 26, and half of those deaths per 100,000 people come from long-term care and nursing facilities. 
Now, if we had different priorities, that death rate could be much, much lower than it is right now. But we're once again marching back to 1918, and that's why we're missing the mark completely. Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate are my guests uh, from the American Policy Roundtable. Dave, you, you write about the Johns, Ho- Johns Hopkins University um, uh, virologist who stated four times that COVID-19 is a mild disease with mild symptoms for the vast majority of people. Yet, not just Mike DeWine, but Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Burks and everybody on the White House coronavirus uh, uh, response team, they all treated it as if it was you know the Spanish flu, if not worse than that. As a matter of fact, they made a point of saying, don't compare this to a flu. This is much, much more deadly than a flu. This is what we were told at the outset. But it's a flu virus. It didn't come from outer space. Uh, this is something that's been observable. You know, there's a story that no, almost nobody knows about, uh, and that's that the CDC actually went back and dug up dead bodies that died in the 1918 flu. They tried this in 1950, in the 50s, and again in the 1970s to recreate the Spanish flu virus. The, the CDC recreated the 1918 virus in the laboratory in the 1970s for the purposes of being able to research it more effectively to create a vaccine. We only had a vaccine for the 1918 virus in the 1970s for H1N1. And this is, this is what happens. Now, we got through the Spanish flu without a vaccine because we had to. 675,000 people died, but that was the choice that we had. We had to get through the disease. Mike DeWine is not being honest with people. He's not explaining to them that we have to get through this through developing herd immunity, a vaccine will help. But in the meantime, we have to be as careful as we can be and as wise as we can be. But we can't control the rate of spread the way he promises. We can't do that. This virus doesn't listen to political speeches. And it doesn't listen and abide by the cloth, paper, towel, mask people wear. Right? It, it, this is not that simple. And by being simplistic, he may be thinking he's giving people a placebo of self-confidence. But the governor's got to be careful. He's promising that if you wear a mask, you'll be safe, that people's lives will be safe. Well, what if they're not? Is he willing to stand for the liability? Yeah, of being litigated we, we, we know we know that's not true and 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 he he quoted he quoted the cdc director rob okay let's pivot to you he quoted the cdc director in saying that if every american if 330 million people all wore masks for the next three to four weeks that we will defeat the disease it'll be gone completely and, and, and nobody will, will get it again I, I don't know how he can possibly make such a statement like that and i don't know what models he's using to make that statement as well as a matter of fact we don't know anything about the models that they're using do we because every request that has been made, including uh, b- uh, from you, from the uh, roundtable, uh, for your request for the models and the basic math that was utilized in developing those, uh, we keep being turned away, right? That's correct. We do. And um, Senate President Larry Allhoff has said, when we submit another request, we're going to get it. He's instructed uh, the Department of Health that that was not the intent of House Bill 397 that passed uh, earlier this year. But we don't know what models we're looking at. We've been hearing... We've been hearing since mid-March, two weeks. We need two weeks to flatten the curve. That was the goal in the beginning. What is the goal now? As we said before, no one can get sick ever again. And the thought, if everyone wears a mask for four weeks, is is that the end game? They never give the end game. If we would have given them these numbers in mid-March and said, this is where we will be in July. If we are there in in July, if we have the numbers that we currently have, if we'd have asked them those questions in mid-March, do you think they would have said yes? then you can have high school football. Yes, then you can have college athletics. 
Or would they have said, well, we don't know. We have to wait and see. Because they told everyone they needed two weeks to flatten the curve, and that's not how it's worked. They always need just a couple more weeks. Rob, do you think that they are setting up the vaccine as the panacea, that, that all of this is going to, you know, they're, they're just treading water until they can have a vaccine, and then, you know, they've scared the bejesus out of the entire population that everyone will line up for the shots. Do you think that's what well, the goal is? I don't think everyone's going to line up for the shots because I don't think everyone trusts the government, number one. Many people will get the vaccine. But number two, how effective is this vaccine going to be? Number, It's been the most rushed vaccine probably in the history of the world and also let's look at what the effectiveness rate is of the flu vaccine annually are we going to do better than that are we going to do worse than that how are we going to know if the vaccine is going to take will this be a yearly vaccine will this be a one or two time thing thinking like the mmr vaccine there's so many unanswered questions the thought that we're all going to live in a bubble until these questions are answered it's just ridiculous. The other thing to think about is I know people that have tried to live in that bubble and they caught the virus. They're ones, when you look at studies around the country, some people, a number of folks that are staying home, that are being in isolation, are ones catching the virus. Look at Georgia a few months ago. They opened before anyone, I believe. They were, we were told we'd see bodies in the street. They were That's absolutely right. crazy for doing what they did. We haven't seen what they promised. They seem to be doing better than most. I think if you give Americans the opportunity to be responsible for themselves, we're going to be fine. We don't, we don't need these mandates handed down by elected officials all across this country. Dave, uh, Dave Zanotti, let's go back to you as we wrap this. Um, the, the biggest part of the speech last night you know, was, was mask, mask, mask. Like he said, 330 million Americans need to do it. Um, but he is he is completely omitting the type of mask that must be worn. He is essentially saying any face covering. So if you put a bandana around your face, you're going to be safe. We're all going to be safe. If you put a, a sock over your head, for crying out loud, it doesn't matter. As long as you have something covering your face, we're going to be safe. But what he's doing is ignoring many, many, many studies. The, you know, the science is absolutely 100% not settled that a virus can be stopped by a face covering uh, from either coming in or going out. It is absolutely not settled science, and there are many, many studies that say, A, they are ineffective in, in trying to stop a virus, and B, they are a health danger to many people with certain conditions, including asthma, and some people that don't even have, have asthma but just aren't necessarily you know, in the best health. They can't get enough oxygen through uh, certain types of masks so that they can actually live comfortably and, and, and in a healthy manner. Well, Bob, uh, it's funny because the governor said the jury's in and masks work. Well, uh, the governor's rigged the jury. Uh, his own key author, John M. Barry, who wrote The Great Influenza, concludes on page 457 of his book that masks are largely useless. So are quarantines, he says, in isolation. So the governor hasn't even finished the book that he's quoting. Uh, and, 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 and I mean, this is just, look, uh, there is an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that talks about masks being excellent at preventing the transmission of anxiety. Right. Now, if you want to wear a mask, wear it. And there is some value to a mask. Certainly we want the medical community wearing masks. No one's saying that's foolish. And if a person needs to or wants to, it's fine. The problem is the governor is condemning everyone who doesn't and those people don't even have a chance to defend themselves. If a person's walking in a grocery store with a medical need and can't wear a mask and is accosted or attacked by someone, 
uh, and we have reports of this happening. How is that fair? The governor set that up. He's he's spoken to seeing us against one another, and that doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. There's not a lot of uh, what he has done uh, or his uh, former health director, his current health director, that has made much sense. Uh, but uh, they are setting the table. It feels like they're setting the table that if we don't follow their direct orders, maybe 30 days from now in the middle of August, they're going to come back and have another shutdown, which um, which will be devastating to this economy and devastating to people's lives. Uh, Dave Zanotti, Rob Walgate, American Policy Roundtable, Ohio Roundtable, and Public Square Broadcast Network. Gentlemen, thank you so much, as always, for bringing some sense and some sanity to this uh, situation. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. Thanks, Bob. Thank Thanks, you both. Bob. Thank you both very much. Keep up the good work. That's Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. And coming up, your phone calls on the Bob France Authority. Okay, 957, the Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, we'll get a couple of calls after the top of the hour. Dr. Everett Piper will be here. All right, Maureen has been waiting patiently in Parma to talk about the uh, Chinese coronavirus. Hi, Maureen, go ahead. Uh, Good morning, Bob. Thank you. Uh, You know, we have so many issues that we're dealing with. It's just a problem after problem. But the big problem is we are in a web of lies. And it's true, the end game is to get a vaccine. These you know, elite uh, depopulation people are literally biting at the bit for a, a vaccine with no liability and disastrous outcomes. It's going to be like no other vaccine. And I hear on your station, you know, inviting people to uh, be in a trial. Dear God, no one should be a useful idiot and walk into that. It is going to be horrific. And it's not going to it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your DNA for all generations. And when you get into, you know, I'm a science person, and just the tiniest little defect in DNA can cause so many problems in so many ways, they are going to completely alter this. We have got to stand up. Everything we're being told is absolute deception for their end game. And if we don't stand up now, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, and well, right I- now. I think there are a lot of people whose eyes are opening, especially as they continue to lie or be incorrect, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all just biding time. I said it to the, to my guests, treading water until a vaccine is ready. And then they're going to sell that as the panacea. This is the way we never have to worry about this again. Get this vaccine and people will line up by the millions. They'll line up. I won't take one. I will not let my family take one. Uh, but that is exact. I think you're, I fear that you're 100% right. That is exactly what they're uh, steering toward. Diana in Cleveland next. Hi, Diana. Go ahead. Hi there. Just want to bring a little logic to this end game of a vaccine. Okay. Fully vetted vaccines that we give our children. And remember, these are vaccines. There is no liability and they are never double blind placebo tested, which is the gold standard. Okay. This is what we give our children. They carry a 1% to 2% risk of serious side effects, injuries, or death. Now, we are rushing for a vaccine. I'm sure there are many people who have great intentions for this. But we're rushing a vaccine for COVID. If we take the same statistics and say it was 1% to 2% of a serious side effect or a risk of death, When we look at the statistics in the United States right now, and we know these statistics for COVID are not, 
are not really accurate because this is for people who are dying with COVID and not from COVID, we have got a half a percent chance of risk for the general population. So we're developing a vaccine that could carry one, two, three percent chance of serious harm or death for something that 99.5% of us are going to recover from. Right. This doesn't make No, sense. it doesn't. And, 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 and Diane, I gotta go. Thank you for the phone call. I don't know the numbers about what the actual percentage of people are gonna have serious injury or death or serious conditions or death from or the result of, of this vaccine, as we have seen with previous vaccines. I don't know those numbers, but if you're right, uh, people need to understand that. They are literally suggesting that you, not suggesting, almost demanding that you take something that's gonna be more likely to kill you than if you just sat there alone and let the virus run its course. And that's that's staggering. Thank you for the call. I appreciate that. It's 10.01. We'll get news now. Dr. Piper next. AM 1420, The Answer. This is AM 1420, The Answer. WHK, W273, DG, Cleveland. A service of 